This is the final sermon on that text in relation to prayer. But let me read from Romans 8, verse 31 to the end of the chapter, which is 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just that is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. As we look back past few weeks on the topic of prayer, I realize that what we actually have done is that we have laid foundation of the doctrine of prayer. When we talk about prayer, usually we talk about how to pray, what to say, uh, the manner in which we pray, how persistently you should pray, and so on. But rarely do we talk about the prayer itself. I think in my life, the most I've heard on the topic of prayer is from the Lord's Prayer. But as you have seen from the Word, just there are so much more than, than those. I pray that it has been useful to you, but it has been for my own life as well. How we should do all things in light of the Scripture. What does the Bible say about these things? So let me do the final recap today as we launch into the last section. We begin with the foundation. The foundation of us being weak. Then Christ's might or his power will be perfected in and through you. That's, that's the basis. Recognizing our weakness it was the beginning point. And on top of that foundation, we talked about two pillars. First one was, in and during your prayers, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you according to the will of God, or according to God. So you don't have to try to impress God, but you have to lean on the Holy Spirit to be hard, 
So that's the first thing that I wanted you to keep in mind as you pray. The second pillar that we talked about last Sunday was that Romans 8.28, Christian's favorite verse, that all things work together for good for those who love God, is not really a freestanding verse, but it flows out of that prayer. Verse 26 and 27 And it was given to you as a gift as you pray and wait for the Lord's return that God promised to those who pray that God will cause all things to work together for good. So if you are praying Christian, grab it. Claim that verse. It will dispel fear from you. And today the last one. The last pillar. So one, two, three. And then you build your own Christian prayer life. The third one, as you have read with me from verse 34, is that we have two intercessors for you. First one was the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 Verse 27. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings to differ words. And again in verse 27. He, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to God. So that was the first intercessor. Also our first point. But verse 34 says this. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. It is a uh, rather difficult concept to embrace or understand. It is counterintuitive when, when you hear these words. What do you mean? Jesus is interceding for me? Is He praying for me? We'll get to that. But the fact is, from verse 34, coupled with a couple of verses that we have already seen, we have two divine intercessors for us. John Murray puts it this way. The children of God have two divine intercessors. Christ is their intercessor in the court of heaven. The Holy Spirit is their intercessor in the theater of their own hearts. Two divine intercessors. One in heaven, on the right hand side of God, our Lord Jesus Christ is interceding for us according to Romans 8.34 and elsewhere. Hebrews 7.25, 1 John 2.1. But we don't normally hear about these things. But as you pray... Think about the Holy Spirit's intercession for you. And also remember that Christ himself is interceding for you as well. We have the mighty duo. The third person and the second person of the Trinity are there with you and for you in your Christian life in general, but in particular in your prayers as well. If somebody had told me when I was in college, when I was converted, that these are the truths that you should remember as you pray, my life 
in general, prayer life in general would have been very, very different. While you cherish your traditions and all the strength they offer to you, these three truths should be at the very foundation of how you perceive Christian prayer is or should be. If you are coming from a Catholic background, you probably would be familiar with what is known as Litany of the Saints. It is a Gregorian chant. It is a prayer. But they recite it. I want you to hear this. In the beginning, they invoke the Holy Trinity in the first few lines. But as soon as the Trinity is done, these are the following intercessors they invoke. And I want you to hear how, how long this is. It usually is sung in Latin. Sancti, Sancta, Sancte. And the refrain would be orate pro nobis, pray for us. So it is prayer. Listen to this. After the Trinity, you know who comes at the top of the list? Mary. Holy Mary, pray for us. Holy Mother of God, pray for us. Holy Virgin of Virgins, pray for us. Only Mary gets this three-time invocation. And then they pray these things. Simple yet disturbing to me. After the Virgin Mary, they invoke these names. Saint Michael, that's an angel. Pray for us. Saint Gabriel, Pray for us. Saint Raphael, pray for us. All you holy angels and archangels, pray for us. Saint John the Baptist, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. All you holy patriarchs and prophets, pray for us. Saint Peter, pray for us. Saint Paul, pray for us. Saint Andrew, and so on. Not done. All you holy apostles and evangelists, pray for us. Holy disciples of the Lord, pray for us. All you holy innocents, pray for us. Again it begins, Saint Stephen, pray for us. Saint Lawrence, pray for us. Saint Vincent, pray for us. Saint Fabian, pray for us. Sebastian, John, Paul, Cosmos, Damian, holy martyrs, pray for us. For us. Saint Sylvester, Gregory, Ambrose, Saint Augustine, Saint Jerome. St. Martin, Nicholas, all you holy bishops and confessors, pray for us. All you holy doctors, pray for us, that's theologians. St. Anthony, Benedict, Bernard, Dominic, Francis. I'm not done. There are the ladies too. St. Mary Magdalene, pray for us. St. Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia, Catherine, Claire, all you holy virgins and widows, all you saints of God, we could spend all day long. And it is a chant. They sing this. And they should memorize this. If you, come, if you are coming from Catholic background, if you are Catholic, I simply want you to notice that where in God's word do you see that we should... What they are doing is they are praying to them to pray for us. To the created beings to the angels, to, the, to these apostles and 
priests and, and the saints, Catholic saints. You are praying to them to pray for us. So many of them. Because of their theology on that treasury of merit. But according to the word of God, I want you to see simply that we already have two divine intercessors for you that you have direct access to. The Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ himself. In your heart, Holy Spirit, in the heavens, Jesus Christ. You don't need all these names. It is really injurious to, to you when you do that. Simply to recognize that we have the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ interceding for us. We need to hold on to that truth. Now that is the simple point that I want you to think about as you pray. But let me give you the context of it. Um, this is where it gets a bit hard. But try to listen. You have your portion of that scripture with you. Have it open just to follow along. How does that section begin? It says, what then shall we say to these things? That's how that section begins. If you have the actual Bible with you, your Bible, you will see most of English, English translations will have that as the new paragraph. Most, if not all, theologians agree that what you have in front of you, verses 31 to 39, and 31, verse 31, that question, what then shall we say to these things starts off the final section in Romans 8, but more importantly, this section, what you have in front of you, is a conclusion to the entire Romans chapters 1 through 8. That section, what then shall we say to these things, is the final summary of Apostle Paul's argument but he is basically putting all, Romans 1 through 8, and this is his final conclusion, or climax, if you will. Last week, I told you the general theme in this section is an encouragement for believers. And in that context, in the final section of chapters 1 through 8, the final section, the climax of it all, in verse 34, we find this a rather counterintuitive statement that Jesus is interceding for us. So Jesus' intercession for us is part of that first half of Romans conclusion. What does that mean? In this section, Apostle Paul is not introducing anything new. He's reaffirming or reconfirming all that he has talked about so far. What did he do in Romans 1, chapters 1 through 8? He has explained the full gospel, what that is. Later on, he would say, my gospel. So he has explained what the gospel is in full scale. And what you are looking at, the final section, is the climax of it all. 
Verse 34 is where we find Jesus interceding for us. But immediately, previous to that, prior to that, he raises few questions. Verse 31, 33, and 34. What Apostle Paul is doing is this. In his final section, before he puts his pen down, he wants to make sure that God's people understood what he has just explained. And it seems to me that he wanted to make sure one more time that they, the Christians in Rome, would understand the free gospel offer in Jesus Christ. In this case, namely, justification. Verse 31. These are the possible threats to the Christians. So he's, he's reiterating these things. Verse 31. If God is for us, who is against us? It's a rhetorical question. Verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? And he answers, God is the one who justifies. The answer is, no one can. But notice the tone. It is about really charge against God's elect. And look at verse 34 again. Who is the one who condemns? So these three questions, who could be against us? Verse 33, who will bring charge against God's elect? Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? All those questions are basically getting at the heart of the issue that we know as justification by faith alone. So he's making sure one more time whether or not they, the Roman church had fully understood this great doctrine And he's doing this because he's not writing a systematic theology book. But this is a really a letter, pastoral letter. And and he is concerned because he knows from his own experience. It's one thing to talk about great truths about the gospel. But it's another thing for us to fully comprehend it and, and embrace it and live a life based upon it. So he's asking these questions. Who is condemning you? No one. Who could bring charges against you? Nobody can. Who could be against you? Nobody can because God is for us. Over and over again that he is making the same point. Now, as I was thinking about verse 34, Christ's intercession... I really couldn't understand why Apostle Paul would say these things. And it made sense. When you pray, last week I've told you that our dominant emotion is fear. It is not so much desire, but the fear of not receiving those things that you are praying for. But I would also say, why these questions? And and it dawned on me, that when you go to prayer, is it not true often that you accuse yourself or Satan accuses you in this way? Who am I that I should pray to God? Why would God listen to me? I know God is busy. 
I mean, I, I'm not a good Christian. I'm not a great Christian. I haven't done much. So I feel bad asking God to do something for me and so on. Satan may come alongside and say to you, Who do you think you are? You are nothing but a hypocrite. And so on. So when you think about it, we often struggle with our ongoing sin that constantly undermines our confidence in front of God and before God. And I have noticed as a third and final pillar that I would say in relation to prayer, you and I must fall back on our justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, that sustains and guarantees our standing before God so that you may dispel Satan's whisper and your own accusation so that you may pray boldly and go to the throne of God boldly, relying on what Christ has done for you. Not saying this to give an excuse for our sins or something like that. But don't you see, in the final section of the climax of Romans 8, Apostle Paul, after laboring page after page, all these verses that he has written down, he wanted to make sure one more time, don't let anybody accuse you. Don't let anybody condemn you, be it Satan, be it your own conscience, whatever it might be. Fall back on Christ. Fall back on God who is justifying you. What is justification? It is declaring you righteous. Therefore, I would say the final pillar that you must hold on to is the fact that Christ is interceding for you in the heavenlies. What does that mean? Is it like Jesus is saying to the Father, God, oh Father, He wants something. Could you give it to Him? Is that the intercession that we talk about? I think Westcott put it well. What is this intercession? In this way, maybe we could understand, try to understand it. His glorified humanity is the eternal pledge of the absolute efficacy of his accomplished work. He pleads, as all the writers truly express the thought, by his presence on the Father's throne. Or more easily, John Murray puts it this way. Christ's intercession, nothing serves to verify the intimacy and constancy of the Redeemer's preoccupation with the security of His people. Nothing assures us of His unchanging love more than the tenderness which His heavenly priesthood bespeaks, and particularly as it comes to expression in intercession for us. What that means is this, people. We often talk about Christ's finished work. 
It is finished, Jesus said. So we talk about Jesus' his work is done. But that's not the full truth, is it? Comparing these verses, we learn that there is Christ's ongoing ministry now in heaven, interceding for us, basically bringing us to the final consummation, securing us in our salvation by his ongoing intercession is the one that you must remember. So it is not so much of your justification in the past that I believe and I hope everything is okay. But the present ongoing ministry of Christ, and you think about that. So Romans 8.34 is really not about when you pray, remember Christ is praying for you. But that Christ is interceding for you, securing your salvation that you already possess in Christ. And no one or nothing will snatch you away from Christ's hand. He is mighty to save. And He is mighty to keep you being saved until His return. And as you remember that, that we... The security that we have in Christ Jesus. Nothing or no one will accuse you. Because your salvation does not depend on you. But it was all about Christ's ministry. So I pray that you will remember these truths as you pray in your Christian life. And build upon it. Don't simply say, oh, now that I've learned these things, but upon these truths and these pillars, if I could call it that way, build your Christian prayer life. Have communion with Him. You have the privilege of direct access to Him. And God was gracious to give you all these truths to you, reveal it to you, that we have so much help from God after salvation. And even in our prayer life, God is helping you. Not by sending an angel, but in his own person. Three persons, yet one God, triune God, is there to help you. Even after the salvation. To keep you safe in his hand. Enjoy it as you pray. Let's pray.